This is Novel Marketing, and with me as always is Thomas Umstead Jr., serial entrepreneur, author, WordPress plugin developer extraordinaire, the founder of Author Media, great friend, marketing guru, and all-around amazing man. And with me is James L. Rubart, who's the best-selling, award-winning author, and just this summer he has won both the Christie uh, Book of the Year Award and the Carol Award, which is like the Oscar Best Picture uh, for Christian fiction. He's also was awarded the Mentor of the Year by the ACFW, and he dabbles in marketing from time to time, which means that in his day job, he's a marketing consultant <laughs> that uh, big companies will pay uh, to have uh, help them with their marketing. So we're excited to talk about marketing today and how you can become a best-selling author. So in this episode, we're going to talk to you about how to choose your genre right? So many people go, oh my gosh, I love this genre. I love this genre. How do I choose which one I'm going to end up in? So if you're in that spot, or maybe you're in a genre and you're saying, I want to expand into another genre, we're going to give you reasons not to do that. Um, And we'd love to have pushback on that because sometimes people say, no, there's a way to do multiple genres. We'd love to hear from you on that. But what we want to dive into is if you're in the spot where you're going, gosh, I really need to choose a genre and I'm not sure what it should be. So I guess the first thing we want to talk to you about is John Grisham, who was a guy who wrote legal thriller after legal thriller, became very successful at it. And then one day he said to his publisher, hey, I'm a big deal. I want to write a book called A Painted House. And his publisher said, well, you're John Grisham. We're going to let you do it. And of course, sales were horrible for that book. And then he went back to writing legal thrillers and the sales went back up. So that's one argument on why you want to stay in one genre. Another thing to think about before we dive into this is Stephen King was once asked, my gosh, you are locked into the horror genre. You really cannot get out of it. And his response is, well, you know what? I really like it. And it's not a bad (laughs) genre to be locked into. And I've made a few coins doing it. So if you feel like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of this genre, I guess our counsel to you right off the bat would be, you know what? If you're in a genre that you love, we encourage you to stay in it. Yeah, because uh, I know a lot of authors who tried to do multiple genres, and almost all of them fail, sometimes in all of the genres and sometimes in all but one. So you may be the exception, and there are a few who are able to be successful in multiple genres. But generally speaking, you want to master one, and the first one you pick may be the one you're stuck in. And so this episode is going to be about helping you make sure that you pick the right one. You can write you whatever want you want. to choose wisely. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, but once you get published in a genre, it's very easy to get shoehorned there. So you want to make sure if you get shoehorned to get shoehorned in the right kind of genre. And you always have the option if you are publishing in a genre and you really just want to try that romance novel or you want to try that action thriller, you can do that under a pen name and look at it as, hey, this is just kind of a hobby book I'm going to do. It's just a for fun book that I'm going to do. I'm not going to really bank on a lot of sales coming from it. It's just something I have to get out of my system. And that's okay. That's right. Because because authors who write with pen names don't sell any books. <laughs> they don't sell many books. Uh, we talk a lot about pen names in the past and we're not big fans of them. Uh, it, they just make marketing harder. It doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it harder. So Right. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you do the do the book, do the romance, use a pen name, but know that you're doing it just to get it off your chest. You're not actually probably going to make any money doing it. 
When it comes to picking a genre, we want to give you three ways to look at the genre. Uh, if you, and this is also good life advice. I'm talking to college students, and they're trying to figure out, what should I do with my life? I give them this exact same advice. In fact, Thomas gave this advice to my son, Micah, right before he was deciding which college he was going to go to. So yes, uh, Thomas... Uh, this is very sound advice. So if you listen to an older person and they tell you, what should I major in college? They'll be like, well, do, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. What they don't tell you is that dot, 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 because no one will ever hire you <laughs> to do that <laughs> thing. So you want to look at your passions, but you can't just look at passions. Uh, you may be very passionate about something, but you have to also be good at that thing, which brings us to the second element of the hedgehog principle, which and this is from Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, and that is skills. You can't just be passionate about something. You also have to be skilled at it. But those two things by themselves also are not enough. You want to also look at needs, and I'm spelling needs here with a dollar sign, and you can call this market demand. It's what people are willing to pay for. So you may be passionate and skilled about something, but if people aren't willing to pay for it, you're not going to be able to feed yourself as an author and you won't be able to be a professional author. It be a happy hobby, but it won't be a professional hobby, uh, making money. So let's talk about some passion tests. Jim, how do you tell if you're passionate about something? You cannot avoid it. You are drawn to it like a magnet. For example, look at the type of movies you love and you might just list out, gosh, list out your top 20 movies, the movies that you go back to and view again and again. That's a clue. And if you find yourself going to science fiction again and again and again, that's probably the genre you should be writing in. If romance is your thing, that's probably the genre you should be writing in. And there's a flip side to this test, too. If you never like watching romance movies and you never like watching romance or reading romance books, you probably are, don't have what it takes to write romance. <laughs> 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 and you probably will not be happy if you get shoehorned there. That will be the special hell for the people who, you know, talk in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, Thomas, the next test would be the throwing, throwing the a book across the room test. Explain that for us. So when you're reading a book, when do you just get so frustrated with the book that you're like, I could do this better. And you throw the book across the room. That might be the genre for you right. because if you can do it better, you may be able to, if you actually can do it better, you may find quite quite a bit of success there because somebody else made money selling that book. If you can do it better, you can make perhaps even more money. And a lot of times if you read a book and you go, ooh, I like that book. Ooh, I like this book. But this book, it could have been better if they had done this ending. It could have been better if they'd put this scene in. They should have had a character. That's a clue that you should be doing those characters and those endings and those additional scenes. That's right. The next test is the bookstore test. What aisles in the bookstore do you find yourself going back to again and again? And also, what aisles do you find yourself going to and yet not buying a book in? So you're really interested in you know, Amish, and you go and you look at the books, and none of the Amish books are interesting to you, but you're still interested in the topic. There may be room for you in that aisle for your own book that's able to reach people who are like you. The next test would be uh, if I could only read one genre for my, the rest of my life test. In other words, if sorry, you're going to an island, desert island by yourself, and you only get one genre for the rest of your life, which one do you go, okay, got to choose this one? That's a good clue that that's the genre you should be writing in. And you may be thinking, well, why, why are passions even important? Why can't I just do what you know, there's market demand for? But ultimately, if you are not enjoying writing the book, how are people going to enjoy 
reading the book. <laughs> it's like, if you're like, if it's just duty for you, people, it may be just duty for your readers. And, you know, a lot of people start books and they don't finish them. They have to be enjoying the journey to finish the book. And they're not going to recommend a book that they don't finish. If you're a woodworker, or say you're not a woodworker, but you know you could make a lot of money because you have the skill set to make these amazing tables, right? But you really do not enjoy it. I guarantee you, you're not going to sand that thing with that final sanding that it needs or that final polish or whatever it is. It's just not inside you. Well, the same thing comes to books, and readers can tell. They can tell if this was a, well, call it paint by the numbers book, or if it was a book from, really from your deep heart. All right, so that's passions. Now let's talk about skills. You can't just be passionate about something. You also have to be skilled in that thing. And yes, this applies to fiction. Now, it applies very obviously to nonfiction. I can't tell you how many nonfiction books I've read by people who did not know what they were talking about. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's a problem? Yeah, these are books that I do not recommend <laughs> to, to my friends. I recommend books when the author really knows what they're talking about. But you know, this is Novel Marketing Podcast. We're talking about not marketing your novel. And this really applies to novels. Yeah. For example, if you are writing Christian fiction or, or fiction with Christian themes in it, and you really do not understand Christianity, that is going to be a problem. If you love writing science fiction, but you don't know how to study science, or it's really a challenge for you to understand the concepts of science, say you want to write time travel and you really don't get quantum physics, well, you might be able to get away with it if you have a really good friend who understands quantum mechanics. But bottom line, if you don't understand the science behind it, it's not going to come across as authentic and specific to science fiction. The people who read science fiction enjoy science, and they will call, <laughs> they will call you on it. They'll find out. They'll go, oh, my gosh, this guy does really not know what he's talking about. That's right. At the very least, you, if you're doing time travel, you need to understand the time travel paradoxes. And there's actually a Wikipedia page on this. There's like five different paradoxes of time travel there's the killing your grandfather and then you're not born and then how do you kill your grandfather paradox there's several others each paradox has its own movie there's like the terminator films paradox and like how, how that works if, if you don't understand that or if you're writing military science fiction and you don't understand military strategy it's going to be very obvious in your writing and you just don't have the skills to attract the kinds of readers who are reading for that thing but it's not just the technical things no, not at all. It's romance as well. So if you're somebody that loves romance, you really need to have high relational empathy. In other words, some people are just not as compassionate as other people. Some people don't have that empathy gene inside them. We suggest you not try to write romance. It, romance also, the need, another need for writing romance is for you to understand psychology, understand the dynamics of relationships. You, the, the best counselors would probably make the best novelists because they understand the wants, the desires, the conflicts, the emotions that go ar uh, along with any type of uh, romantic relationship. And, and a couple, one more, that, and this is a pet peeve of mine and something that really can ruin books for me uh, because very often authors don't do this. If you write action books... You need, for the love of good writing, to go to a gun range and fire a gun one time. Because if you do not know what it's like to fire a gun and what it sounds like to fire a gun, it will be unbelievably obvious to American readers. So in America, there are more guns than people. 
Most Americans own a gun, and most Americans have fired a gun. If you are not one of those Americans, you will be very obvious to those who have fired a gun or who hang out with people who fire guns. This is another like frustrating thing for me in TV shows and movies. I've gone through gun training, and these suppose you know when I watch police officers obviously hold the gun in the wrong way, it's, it just breaks them. It's like. A cop would not hold a gun that way because that is wrong. Me, as a guy who went to a couple <laughs> hours training, know that that's wrong. A, a police officer who studied this for months definitely knows that this is wrong. And we uh, have a mastermind group, and we have a retreat. And, and one year, we went on a retreat out to my grandparents' ranch, and we all take turns teaching a class. And I taught a class on guns and gun safety. And what the very first thing I did is I fired the gun downrange before anyone had put their earplugs in or knew it was coming. And, and of course, half of everyone jumped out of their skins. Everyone was very nervous. And I'm like, <laughs> remember how you feel right now. Because this feeling is often not captured in books when a gun is presented. And often just the presence of a gun makes people really nervous, especially if they're not used to guns. And it's like, also, your ears are ringing. Very often in a book, there's gunfire and a conversation going on. It's like, that can't <laughs> happen. Guns are really loud. So this is just an example of the kind. You can get skills. No one is born with skills. No one is born understanding science. No one is born understanding history to write historical fiction. People may be born with relational empathy to a certain degree, but you can study relationships and study um psychology and so the key here is that you have to as and this kind of connects with passions in a sense all three of these tie together it needs to be something that you're willing to research and if you're not willing to research don't write that thing and you know what you don't have to research in fact i hear jim you are like pathologically allergic to doing research (laughs) and yet you've won all of these book awards how did you do that yeah so i i probably i've probably done a total of two and a half to three hours research for eight novels and you say, well, how do you, how did you do that? Well, I just write about stuff I know, and I've already, I've already researched and read about just for pleasure because I've enjoyed doing it because I do not like research. And so, if you do not like research for me, great, just take the stuff you know really well and use that. For example, the majority of my books, seven out of the eight, are set in the Puget Sound area, the Seattle area, Pacific Northwest, because I know that I don't have to do any research for it. So, if you're not a researcher, I want to give you permission to not research. That's right. There's nothing wrong with setting a book in present day in your hometown. <laughs> in fact, right. there's a good Stephen sh- King is another guy who has done this to great effect. That's right. Another way to do this is to uh, write fantasy, create your own world, and then you don't have to do any research because you get to write all the rules. <laughs> Although I will say one thing in terms of skills that can help fantasy. If you want your fantasy to resonate with readers, it helps a lot if it's rooted in some sort of cultural folklore. If you look at the really effective fantasy books, there's some cultural folklore that it's tied to, uh, and often very overtly. So you know, Lord of the Rings is tied very closely to a certain kind of um, like Nordic and Germanic um, legends, you know, Beowulf, you know, actually the reason why Beowulf is so famous is because Tolkien wrote an essay about the poem in the 1950s and put the poem on the map. <laughs> so it was, oh, I didn't know uh, that. And yeah, it's, it's cool. actually, and historians may look at that essay be, as being as important as his, you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy. So um, there's some other ways, though, to figure out what you're skilled at. One is to look at what has sold the best in the past. So some of you listening have written quite a few books, and some of your books that you've written were dogs, and some of them were eagles. Uh, my suggestion is instead of trying to write better dogs, write more eagles. <laughs> if you, you know, if you're writing romance and it's failing, and you're writing zombie zombie action thrillers and they're selling like hotcakes, write more zombie action thrillers. 
Another is the nightstand test. And by nightstand test, we obviously mean what is on your nightstand. But we would take it a step further and say, what's not on your nightstand? In other words, most novelists have a to-be-read pile that's very, very high. Don't look at that stack. Look at the stack that you've actually read and put on a shelf because you couldn't not read it, right? That's a better indication. Or look at your to-be-read pile and all of a sudden that one creeps to the top. I got to read that one first. Well, probably a pretty good indication. And sometimes you go, wow, the, 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 the genres are a little bit mixed. I'm not sure about that. But that's okay because you will see within those books, just like within the movies that you love the most, if you take a look at those things, you will see a theme running through all of those. And that's going to be your genre. And you're like, oh, I don't want to follow the rules of what other people have done. Like, well, that's fine. You don't have to follow the rules, but you have to at least break them on purpose. One of the principles of good writing is that if you break a rule, you want to do it on purpose where the reader knows that you know what the rule was and you're breaking it in an intentional way. That can be great, great writing. Whereas if you kind of sort of break the rules because you don't really know what they are or you don't know what the conventions are in your genre, that just turns readers off and, and can scare them away. Another way to figure out what your genre should be or your skill set should be within writing a genre is what would you be willing to go to a workshop and learn about? In other words, if you had to pay to go to a workshop, one of them is about quantum physics, one of them is about how to fire a gun, and one of them is what kind of material did they use in the Middle Ages to make clothes – which one would you go to and pay? That's oh, firing the gun for sure. <laughs> no question. Although the Middle Ages one's a close second. But, but that's the answer for me. The answer for you may be different. Uh, but, you know, what are you willing to study? Uh, another thing that you could look at is what authors do you see as mentors? Um, this can be one way that you can get skills uh, and advantage is, you know, who's around you that can teach you. Uh, I find that often successful authors are in clumps and clusters and little communities with each other. And successful authors hang out with other successful author authors and often in the same genre. Real quickly, we're going to go through some need tests needs test and we're using the dollar sign for the s here again so look at the market and see what is needed for example is there an underserved category on amazon where you just do not see as many books in that category that's a great way to figure out what the market wants and this seems contradictory because we're saying now choose a choose a genre based on market but look within your two or three genres where you're going these boy I can't decide between these that might be the tipping point if you're one of those people who goes it's a tie Jim and Thomas it's a tie between these three genres look to the market and, and this next one is important for you, self-published authors, independent authors, because this is one of the things an agent would do for you. Um, you can do this for yourself if you know to do it. And that is also to look for overserved markets. So there's been a bunch of really good books that have come out in a certain genre, and they all failed to sell. That's an indication that the readers are moving on away from that market, and that would be perhaps not a good market to try to put your stake in the ground because uh, the, the reader base just isn't there. Maybe it was really hot back in the 90s, and now people just aren't reading those kinds of books. Like, you know, end-of-the-world type books, you know, uh, really popular in the 90s because Y2K was looming in the future. Now it's not as popular. It's, it's harder to make those kinds of uh, books work. Um, let's talk about similar to a popular book or similar to popular movies and TV shows. In one sense, you can look at po very popular TV shows, um, very popular movies, very popular books and go, oh, I'm going to do that kind of thing. The drawback to that is, of course, that wave, by the time you really understand that wave, that wave's 
probably starting to go down. For example, Chick Lit. Oh my gosh, that was the buzzword in the mid 2000, like 2003, 2004, 5, 6. Chick, Chick Lit was everywhere, and now it has really died off. So you got to be careful about riding waves. Yet at the same time, you can look at what is popular in culture, and if it's a solid, solid pop culture phenomenon, for example, superheroes. Those really, you know, crested and hit the wave about 10 years ago, really starting becoming a big wave. And those are probably going to go on for a while. You look at what Marvel's doing and what DC's doing. You go, okay, there's probably a continuing need and demand for that type of fiction. And this is where needs and skills are connected as well. Because the faster you're able to write quality work, the quicker you can respond to trends. If it takes you two years, three years to get a book out, you... Don't worry about trends because whatever's going on now is not what's going to be going on three years from now. But if you're able to quickly hit those trends, you can often make some really good money. And, and then one final test is popular computer games. Uh, the biggest category in entertainment is actually computer games. The more, pe- more money is spent on computer games than on movies and on books. And a lot of people, that's just not a part of their world. But there are very popular games with millions of users that the um, readers are looking for Uh, books in that category in fact i can think of fallout uh, as a great example it's a post-apocalyptic game and or and i have gone looking for books that had a similar universe to this game because i enjoyed the game so much and i was like well surely there's some books and you know what there are a couple of books that are similar to that game and you know they're selling really well because they're the only books that are similar in style and they're pretty overtly similar almost a ripoff but as a passionate fan of the game I'm happy to you know, buy that book and read that book. And so many of you are indie authors. So you do have that ability to get it done quickly and jump on something like that, turn it around and get it out, where those of you who are traditional, as Thomas was just saying, takes a lot longer. Ultimately, though, whether we're talking about passions, skills, and needs, it, it's important for this to be an enjoyable journey. Um, because if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to have the patience to build the skills. And without the skills, you're not going to be able to reach people's needs in a way that they're willing to pay for it. Yeah, so I love the way you phrase that, Thomas, because that's ultimately what it is in our minds is which one is play. And by that, we mean which genre would you write if no one ever read the book? Yeah, because... If, if you're at that point where you're just doing it for the fun of it, your skill is going to go up. And yep. hopefully the market demand is there. It does help to kind of look at the market demand. But I do know authors and, and that all, all they look at as market demand and they just chase trends. And they're often always one or two steps behind the trends. And they're never very successful. And they're not really enjoying the journey. If you can learn to enjoy the journey, your editing is going to be better, your writing is going to be better, and your books are going to be better, which is going to make the marketing easier and the sales higher, which is ultimately what's going to lead to you being a best-selling author, which is our goal to help you become here on the Novel Marketing Podcast. The Novel Marketing Podcast has been sponsored this episode by My Book Table 3. Now with Kindle Instant Preview and International Mode and so many additional whistles and bells we did an entire episode on it so if you'd like some details on that you can go back and take a look really this one is uh pretty phenomenal what thomas has created and we have a new itunes review so we want to thank you those of you who are leaving us reviews on itunes our uh, latest itunes review is from pain 2 who says 
I'm a novel marketing junkie. As an author and photographer writing books on historic churches and Gothic cemeteries in New Orleans and the bayous of Louisiana, their lessons on marketing hit home. From the smallest details on how to sign books and greet fans at book signings to the three-part series on branding, both Thomas and James continue to inspire and educate me on a daily basis. Great work. Thank you, Payne, too. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. And we now have added a fourth part to the branding series, which we're excited for you. So you, so you can check that out. I believe that's episode 84. And the My Book Table episode is episode 85. Uh, if you'd like to give us a shout out on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would help more people discover us. And if you put your name in your book in the review, you might hear it on a future episode. You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, online, offline, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.